Welcome, followers of the Peacock, aka Pop Culture Over Pizza podcast. This is Metatron, broadcasting on Angel Radio from atop the cloud on which my humble study resides, sitting by a toasty fireplace. If you're looking for the latest and greatest on all things sci-fi and mythological, then I'm your angel. Since today's episode is lengthier than usual, instead of it being a quick slice per se, we'll call this one a two slices to go episode. Now on this blessed, frigid day in October, I'll be leaning towards the greatest category with regard to sci-fi by covering my top 10 all-time favorite Godzilla movies. My friends, I don't think I can reiterate this enough. As an angel, it's hard enough to feel the full spectrum of human emotions, but whenever I watch a Godzilla movie, I always feel a tinge of happiness. So when I undertook compiling this top 10 list, I found it somewhat difficult to rank these movies, since I'm enthusiastic about all the renditions I've seen over the years. Quick sidebar, that 1998 film would have been a good monster movie, but the fact that they attached the name Godzilla to it, and the feature monster barely looked like Godzilla really ruffled my feathers. But moving on, some quick terminology you should get yourselves acquainted with. There are approximately four to five different continuities that I will be referencing for the remainder of this podcast. I won't reference all of them, but I'll give the complete breakdown for the sake of completeness. The Toho line of Godzilla movies is broken down into five distinct periods. The oldest era being the Showa series, which is set from 1954 to 1975. The Heisei series, which effectively starts in 1984 and ends in 1995. The Millennium series, which technically starts in 1999 and ends in 2004. The Shin era, which began in 2016 and is currently ongoing. And lastly, the anime movie run of Godzilla, which began in 2017, and like the Shin series, is still ongoing today. The only other line of movies worth mentioning that are not strictly within Toho's continuity is the Monsterverse, which started with the movie titled Godzilla in 2014 and is likewise still ongoing. With this timeline in mind, let us get into the nitty-gritty of things. I'd like to start by naming some honorable mentions before we get to the top 10 movie list. And we'll be starting with Godzilla vs. Hedera during the Showa series. In this movie, all of the pollution in our oceans amalgamated into a menacing monster by the name of Hedora or the Smog Monster. And as usual, Godzilla stomps on it after a few tangos. But that's not what I find memorable about this movie. What's important here is the message, and this is a concept we'll be revisiting as the podcast progresses. Especially in this day and age, I find that this movie still bears relevance because it warns of the dangers that pollution can bring upon humanity. Now look, I'm not going to turn this into an NSI 101 segment, but the premise here is that we, if we don't clean up our Earth, we don't need to wait for a slap fight between a couple of my older brothers to end life on the planet. Lastly, just the specialized song for this movie. I find myself humming every now and again. Save the earth, save the earth, save the earth. (laughs) It's just really great stuff, guys. You should definitely give it a watch if you have the time. All of these movies, movies that I name, you should 
give it a watch at some point. Next up is Godzilla vs. Biollante. The reason why I liked this movie but decided not to include it into my top 10 list is because the only thing that really drew me into watching this movie, aside from it being a Godzilla movie of course, was the villain. Biollante in her final form was just one of the gnarliest things I ever beheld as a fledgling angel, aside from my older brother Lou. The seemingly endless rows of teeth within that gargantuan maw seemed as endless as the pit itself, and it was just such a really intriguing villain to see Godzilla fight. Because just the sheer size and strength of Biollante, it had me wondering, how is he going to get through this this time? But of course it's Godzilla, so he's always going to get through it. The last mention goes out to Godzilla Final Wars, which came out in 2004. This movie was awesome, because it was the first time since the old Showa movie All Monsters Attack that a huge lineup of monsters were going to be featured in a film. And what's more, Godzilla, I knew Godzilla was going to hand each and every one of their behinds to them. And I was looking forward to seeing how the king would go about doing it. The reason why it is not in this list, however, is purely because when it was released, it was meant to be the Godzilla movie to end all Godzilla movies, as in no more Godzilla. And I hated that. But in all fairness, it was probably my favorite action movie as a fledgling angel. And let's not forget that five-second fight between Godzilla and Zilla, which is the 1998 incarnation of Godzilla. Let's just say Toho set the record straight on who the real king is. Furthermore, this may be the end of my honorable mention section, but deep within my vessel's heart, every Godzilla movie put out there by Toho is an honorable mention to me. Now we shall begin with the top 10 Big G movie list. And at number 10, we have Godzilla vs. Mothra, hailing from the Heisei series. Here we see a staggering durability feat, where Godzilla swims in lava and traverses it as though it were a highway and re-emerges completely unscathed. This for me is where I began to realize, if not already, that Godzilla is an absolute behemoth when it comes to power levels. The other thing I liked about this movie was the concept of Batra. Batra was the dark version of Mothra. And just the design of this character looked so... It really stood out there. And I just love the idea of there being a demonic Mothra. Like, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, my fledgling mind couldn't admit liking what was essentially a giant butterfly. But a demonic evil moth? Shut up and take my money. In ninth place, I ranked the 2014 Godzilla movie which began Legendary's Monsterverse. Remember how Final Wars was supposed to be the last Godzilla movie? When I heard this movie was coming out, I had already begun to grow into myself as a celestial being, and I was honestly prompted to cast doubt, which as you know is a crime upstairs, so I had to keep it a little low-key. The 1998 Godzilla movie really impacted my faith in Americans to put out a quality Godzilla movie. But to my surprise, what do you know? That movie was a hit! such that it revitalized my hopes for the Godzilla franchise while also opening the gateway to the much-anticipated MonsterVerse I was geeking out, what, like a week before? And I also like the parallels that 
the director chose to instill in the movie that are reminiscent of the 1954 movie. For instance, when Godzilla doesn't really appear until like the ha- the last half of the movie. While that was, um, I wasn't really too keen on that because I came to this movie to watch Godzilla. I want to see more Godzilla. I, as a fan, I appreciated that little tidbit, you know? And the fact that there was a monster to fight also just, it really did wonders for that movie. Holding 8th place in the roster is Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, a movie also hailing from the Heisei era of movies. Of all of the movies featured in the Heisei era, this one has to be my favorite depiction of Godzilla. One of the most compelling parts of the movie in my eyes was how Godzilla was lighted in certain scenes. When he appears for the first and last time in the movie, he is shown as this dark, towering figure of pure malice, underscored by the fact that you couldn't clearly see his eyes because they were so heavily shadowed. This stylistic choice really just nailed Godzilla's level of epicness, and brought it out in a seemingly simple way. At this point in the franchise, Godzilla went from being the Earth's greatest defender, to generally being a meaner, more occasional defender of Earth, which in turn prompted you mortals to want to slay him even more. Given this take on the King's portrayal, the movie also re-explores a notion not seen since the Showa era to challenge viewers, and that is a parent-child relationship. That's right, you heard me. A parent-child relationship. The Showa movie Son of Godzilla sets the precedent for this revisited element, but all in all, the introduction of Baby Godzilla ultimately served as an additional factor that made viewers want to root for Godzilla all the more, despite the fact that he was meaner. Then, of course, there's the obvious, timeless question-slash-battle. Will the original version win or the superior mech, respectively being Godzilla and Mechagodzilla? Godzilla, on the other hand, also gains a cool new power when Rodan, another monster featured in the movie, gives the king the rest of his energy with his dying breath, the power bestowed upon Godzilla being the Red Spiral Ray. Seeing this was another one of those hallmark show of power moments, because in earlier sequences of the movie, when Godzilla would use his standard atomic ray on Mechagodzilla, it would in essence bounce off of him, and it would in turn store the energy of the blast and fire it right back at Godzilla with twice the power. This weapon was known as the Plasma Grenade. So when I saw the Red Spiral Ray reduce Mechagodzilla to scrap metal, I couldn't help but appreciate how the movie made use of such a simple, visually interesting concept, such as turning the ray red to clue the viewer in on the notion that Mechagodzilla was essentially screwed. It just goes to show that even the simplest of details can be just as impactful as complex details in terms of progressing the story and, on a grander note, just making it all the more memorable. At number 7 we have Godzilla Tokyo SOS from the Millennium series. I won't lie, the Millennium series was not my favorite era, but I will give credit where credit is due. In this movie, Godzilla is at his most gruesome stage as a being with nothing but an absolute destructive hate for humanity. 
So what do humans decide to do in the previous movie? They say, well, let's build a Mechagodzilla, because that's the, pro that's the answer to every problem concerning Godzilla. But, here's the catch. They also agreed to use the bones of the original Godzilla from 1954 as being an integral part of the machine. As Tokyo SOS progress progresses, a magical aspect is introduced with the presence of Mothra. See, in Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, which was the previous movie, Kiryu, which is the alt name for Mechag-G, had a tendency to go rogue and begin destroying anything in his path. This erratic behavior was originally attributed to being a glitch in the cyborg's computer-slash-brain. But the fairies associated with Mothra say that this was not the case, and that by using the remains of the first Godzilla, its soul was not at rest. And so an additional layer of tension was created. Either trash Kiryu and Mothra will defend Japan from Godzilla, or make an enemy of Mothra once more by keeping Kiryu, and thus allowing Godzilla's very, very durable soul <laughs> from being at rest. I found this to be such a riveting arc to explore. Me being an angel, souls are already an important topic. Even when in the, but even when in the movie prior, we saw Kiryu having flashbacks of when he was in his prime, before he would just go completely berserk. And I figured that even then, before the fairies mentioned it, that original G's spirit was in there somewhere, because only the soul of the original badass would be stubborn enough to stick around. Ranked number six on the list is Godzilla Resurgence from the Shin series that just recently came out. This movie was exciting to both hear about and watch. It's one thing to hear that another American version of Godzilla was coming out, but to hear that its success prompted Toho to pick up the reins once more? I was so elated, I was jumping out of my vessel with joy. The great thing about this movie was that it retained the ideas of the first Godzilla movie from 1954 and put a modern spin on it, incorporating a great deal more science than was originally dealt with. Shin Godzilla really nailed the idea that this isn't your friendly neighborhood kaiju. The way Godzilla looked, moved, and evolved throughout the movie really evoked the notion that you're dealing with a freak of nature born from human malice. Not to mention, Godzilla gains yet another power in this movie, one which I think is the wackiest of all. It's not enough that Godzilla has an atomic ray that practically shreds through everything, but now he can shoot it out of his spines and his tail. Oh my goodness. While the movie, it just, the movie was a great deal serious, but it was nice to see some of that over-the-top wackiness that we've come to love about Godzilla. And also, kind of piggybacking off of this seriousness notion, Certain scores in the movie just gave off this beautiful vibe of tragedy, which did volumes in regards to the gravity of the story. Moving away from present day 2016, in the number 5 slot, we have Godzilla vs. Gigan going all the way back to the Showa series. This movie is one of the few films that almost provoked me to tears. 
When I began watching Godzilla vs. Gigan, I thought to my fledgling self, Self, Godzilla is going to beat the ever-living snot out of this overgrown robot chicken from space. And with his best bud Anguirus backing him up, they for sure can wreck ship. Then, the added flavor of the dreaded Golden Hydra himself, King Ghidorah, was added into the mix. And then I said, Self, this is getting a little more serious now. But don't worry, Godzilla will still find a way to win. He always does. And then, I got to that scene. And those of you who have seen Godzilla vs. Gigan, you know what scene I'm talking about. And this is where Gigan begins to make Godzilla bleed. Now, mind you, it takes a lot to make Godzilla bleed. So... When I saw, because the in the in the movie, what Gigan can fly, right? And one of his wacky attributes, aside from looking like space robot chicken, is that he has a buzz saw on his stomach. And so what he ended up doing was, while he was flying, he jets towards Godzilla, and he buzz saws right past him. And cuts into his arm. And you see just the blood just start to spew out. And at this point, I was in shock. And, and like, it, it was just... I, I was standing there silent in internal horror. Like, oh my god, he's bleeding. And then, when Gigan began wailing on Godzilla's head. Because he has not only... Is he, does he have a buzzsaw on his stomach? His hands are literally knives or hooks or hooks are like sides. And this, and these sides were, were, were sharp enough that they were beginning to make dents in Godzilla's head and he was bleeding from his head. And this was one of those instances where I thought to myself, damn. Godzilla might actually lose this one. But then, as always, he and Anguirus eventually recollected themselves and they won the day. Essentially, the reason why this movie is ranked number five is because of how the story was able to toy with my emotions in a way that an angel is normally immune to. And it was just so... It was a very ro it was a roller coaster of an experience, to put it simply. Choice number four takes us back to where it all began in the Showa series, and this is the nineteen fifty four film Godzilla, or as in the original Japanese, Gojira. Like Godzilla vs. Hedra over in the honorable mentions section. It's really the message this movie tries to get across, which makes it so special. It wasn't about monster smackdowns and crazy feats of power. It was a commentary about issues in the waking world. This movie was designed to prompt viewers to think about the dangers of using nuclear weapons and bears striking resemblance to a few incidents that occurred in real life. Now, I actually did a research paper for one of my college courses on the movie, and I found out a couple of interesting details. Little known fact, but in the beginning sequence in the movie, Godzilla is seen destroying a fishing boat out at sea. 
and this is in reference to an actual boat named the Lucky Dragon 5. In March of 1954, the U.S. was conducting secret hydrogen bomb testing near a string of Japanese islands known as the Bikini Atoll. This is also coincidentally where we find Godzilla. Just pointing that out. The U.S. did acknowledge that the crew of the Lucky Dragon 5 had been caught in the fallout of the hydrogen bomb testing, and other fishing boats were discovered to have been similarly exposed. It's sad to think that this event even occurred, because keep in mind, not a few years earlier, the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki were the first victims of the atom bomb during World War II. It was based on these dark occurrences in Japanese history that the director Ishiro Honda came up with the idea of portraying an equally startling story. Now let's look at some parallels. The use of Godzilla's atomic breath is meant to be reminiscent of not only the fallout of an atomic bomb, because not only was Godzilla himself radioactive, but his breath obviously was as well. But also what that fire did, the way it just left these immense scars on Japan, uh, Tokyo was totaled. And it was sad to see just one of the beautiful scenes, beautiful and terrifying scenes of the movie, is just you see the whole city in flames. And in the background, you see Godzilla is just a shadow. And it just reiterates how horrifying the power of these bombs can be. Another interesting addition to this larger conversation was the role played by Dr. Serizawa. In the movie, he is credited with creating a weapon thought to be deadlier than the atom bomb itself. And this was the oxygen destroyer. When the Japanese government found out about its existence in the movie, of course, they begged him to allow them to use it, because up until this point, nothing was working on Godzilla, and they were just in this huge spot of desperation. Despite this devastation at hand, Serizawa shows an extreme amount of hesitance in using the weapon, because of the implications it might have on the world at large. What could, what, what, what's the cost going to be? What if it fell into the wrong hands? He essentially took great responsibility over his creation and is ultimately meant to be a good role model by which to refer to in these kinds of situations. It highlights that you humans need to be extremely careful when these weapons of mass destruction are in play, think twice, and make careful considerations like Serizawa did. And for that, this movie's message proves to be the most timeless of them all. Coming up on number three, we have Godzilla vs. Destroya, yet another movie from the Heisei series. You know how Gigan, Godzilla vs. Gigan, sorry, almost made me cry? This movie actually did make me cry. This movie is noted as being one out of only two instances in the movie continuities where Godzilla has died. At least in the first one, which was the 1954 movie, he kind of had it coming. He was wrecking everything, and it was just all in all a bad situation. 
but in Godzilla vs. Destroyer. That oxygen destroyer born devil, because that's actually where he comes from. Um, when the oxygen destroyer was set off and it killed the original Godzilla, apparently the fallout infected Tokyo Bay and Precambrian um, life forms were allowed to thrive in this um, new environment. And it's basically where Destroyer comes from. But back to what I was saying. Destroyer is just one of the worst adversaries Godzilla has ever combated. First of all, this guy was really powerful. Given his background as coming from the Oxygen Destroyer. He had a horn where basically it turns into a laser and it cuts through anything. It cut through Godzilla. It was another one of those moments where you're like shocked because this thing was able to pierce his skin. Another thing that was just so horrifying about this villain was how much just maliciousness it embodied and dealt. Because what happens is Destroyer overpowers and seemingly kills Godzilla Jr., by dropping him from a most staggering height. Mind you, this is the juvenile version of the baby Godzilla we saw in Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla from the Heisei series. His progress was since followed after that movie. So, I saw... So, there, there comes a scene in the movie where Godzilla comes upon the fallen... Um, Godzilla Jr., and you just see that he releases this truly heartbreaking bellow of pain after failing to revitalize the young kaiju. It was as if I gained a soul at that moment, because I felt like I just got stabbed in it. That was the first scene, mind you, only the first scene that made me cry. And I was also a fledgling angel, so I sobbed horribly, as one might imagine. The next scene is when Godzilla himself had his soul wrapped from him. Godzilla vs. Destroyer tackles the issue of Godzilla's growing power levels, and we also see some pretty impressive feats in this movie. But that isn't the crux of why I ranked this movie number three. More importantly, what happens when he absorbs too much radiation? Well, the answer is he explodes. And the resulting explosion is said to have the enough power to scorch the Earth senseless, uh, apocalypse world style. But you mortals couldn't have that. So before he could go critical, you figured you'd put Big G on ice to at least mitigate the damage. And you were successful in doing that, but, and so what happens is in the final act, when the people of Japan are barraging the king with cold and cadmium-based weapons, there's this song that plays in the background, and it just says it all. It's over. Godzilla, he, he's done. No amount of wacky comebacks are gonna come and just do it over this time. There is one one thing that does happen when all of the radiation that because what 
okay, the, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this. I'm, I'm starting to get a little flustered here, but in my opinion, this was the most emotional scene in the entirety of the Heisei series because it is the one time that Godzilla lost, but he lost more than his life. He lost control of his own powers, which began to spiral out of control, and this left him in agonizing pain at the very end. He melts to death because of the sheer heat he generates. What's more, he lost his only child, or so it seems. What, what I was going to say earlier was that when Godzilla melts to death and all the radiation from him is released... This is the, like, the Kickstarter Junior needs, and he absorbs all this radiation and essentially becomes the new Godzilla. But, and it ends on that happy note, but as far as the rest of the movie is, it's, it's as, as far, I'm sorry guys, as far as the rest of the movie is concerned, <laughs> uh, even as I'm talking about this right now, I'm getting emotional, that's why I'm just so flustered. It was the one movie where you genuinely did not want him to lose, and more than ever, he lost. And that is why I felt that this movie was deserving as number three. Yeah, leaving behind the more somber tones of this podcast, at number two I have ranked the movie Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters All-Out Attack which belongs to the Millennium Series category. This film contains one of my favorite monster brawls, a three-on-one match, not quite successively, between Mothra, Baragon, why Baragon is not mentioned in the title is a little messed up, but I, I digress, and King Ghidorah, and they're called the Guardian Monsters, Though, how the alien destroyer of stars and planets becomes Earth's guardian is beyond even my comprehension. Still a unique take on the character. Versus a new version of the King of Monsters. And perhaps what I find to be the most riveting iteration. Quick sidebar. They make a quick reference to the 1998 film, a lot like Final Wars did. Uh, this is uh, the really bad American movie. And I just found it so funny. Uh, they they insert a line that goes along the lines of Godzilla was sighted in America recently. But they ultimately write, they ultimately write it off as a false sighting. Um, <laughs> it's just some really great stuff. Good job on, again, setting the record straight, Toho. This rendition, uh, this is this is the crux of the point of why it's number two. This rendition is heavily steeped in magical overtones. First off, the movie which I deem separate from the Millennium Canon, akin, akin to an Elseworlds story, follows the events after 1954 a lot like Godzilla vs. Destroya. But this time... They question whether or not the Oxygen Destroyer killed him in the first place. And so when he shows up, it's like, what the hell? The question of what the hell is answered by uh, an elderly man who tells it like this. 
Apparently, Japan has forgotten and thus forsaken their past trials regarding World War II. And so all the spirits of the soldiers who sacrificed themselves during the war to fight for Japan have possessed and reanimated the King of Monsters, which implies that he was killed by the oxygen destroyer weapon, to wreak havoc on the land for forgetting their sacrifice. Uh, aside from the throwback to the very unfortunate events of the Nagasaki and Hiroshima bombings, this concept was just so awesome. Because, first of all, Godzilla is possessed in this movie. And not to get a little meta here, getting meta with the Metatron, but I just started getting into Supernatural. And so when I saw that there was some potential magical crossover is just the neurons that fired in my head it was just i was going crazy and it's evident because like in supernatural his eyes indicated signs of possession they were pure white leaving no traces of his irises the way the writers or and directors worked in this interesting legion-esque storyline just it was so fascinating because it gets into the powers that souls hold. It reminded me so much of my own universe in Supernatural, and felt like some sort of crossover hybrid movie. Suffice it to say, I was just blown away. Um, GMK Godzilla also featured what is probably the most impressive feat of power that the King of Monsters has displayed as of yet. In Godzilla 2000, which is a movie that came out uh, maybe a year or two before this, we're introduced to why Godzilla is so completely overpowered. And, our, and, and the movie expands on the notion of Godzilla's advanced healing factor. And this is given the name Regenerator G1, and it's one of the reasons why he is so indestructible, alongside his ridiculously impenetrable hide. In GMK, humans develop a weapon that is finally able to pierce his hide. Such that, when he tried to use his atomic breath, and this was a very powerful iteration of the atomic breath, it basically one-shot Baragon, the hole that was created in his neck on account of this weapon that humans uh, developed grew increasingly larger because whenever he would try to um, use his atomic breath, it would instead of coming out of his mouth, come out of this hole. And what, would, and what eventually happened was he does it one too many times and Godzilla just explodes. That's it. Done. But, big but, uh, <laughs> those of you who are immature out there, haha, <laughs> very funny, but the end of the movie rests on a moving shot at the bottom of the ocean, which eventually makes its way to a leviathan-sized heart, and what do we know? It begins to beat. He, mind you, Godzilla is 
bodiless at this moment. His meat suit was destroyed in that explosion. And he is still kicking. Like, oh my god. It's just... Now, whether his Regenerator G1 played a factor in this instance, I can't tell you for sure. But if we're talking magic here, and Godzilla's power, and Godzilla's soul is powerful enough to reconstitute his vessel from a singular beating heart, because that is what is being implied here, he's going to come back meaner than ever. This easily makes this incarnation of the King of Monsters the most overpowered one in the history, aside from burning Godzilla, which was featured in Godzilla vs. Destroyer. Rest in peace. And was, for sure, one of the biggest plot twists I've ever seen a Godzilla movie pull. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Which movie is resting atop the number one space? This movie is Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, the Showa rendition in the 70s. This movie is just my all-time favorite above them all. If I ever had to choose my most favorite Godzilla movie, it is this movie. And it's the first time we ever see Mechagodzilla. Unlike its Heisei counterpart from the 90s, this movie lies within the goofier portion of Godzilla's history. What I really liked about this movie was that it revisited Godzilla's relationship with his best bud Anguirus by being the first victim to suffer the wrath of the king. The sequence left me puzzled at first. My young angel fledgling mind could just not comprehend why is he beating up his homie? Why? What, what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing? What, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? And it just prompted me to think to myself, Self, isn't this Godzilla's best friend? The guy that came through when both King Ghidorah and Gigan came looking for trouble? And I replied, Self, you are exactly right. Let's watch more. Turns out that there are two Godzillas up and about. And it is revealed that when they fight, this fake Godzilla is indeed the Mecha Godzilla, wearing, uh, I guess, like a a skin esque costume of Godzilla, because it, it just peels off when Godzilla starts using his atomic ray, and he's like, okay, jigs up, might as well just show myself. And not only is Mecha Godzilla. Um, really, this is a really powerful, it may, the movie may not suggest it, but he is, Mechagodzilla is pretty strong in this movie, and not only that, he is a villain. He's not on the human side. This Mechagodzilla has an alien origin, and basically what they want to do is they want to get Godzilla out of the way so that they can take over the planet, you know. Very, very, uh, cliche plot line, but if you get past that, there, the movie has its strong points, and in my opinion, they're this. First of all, it's the second best twist in all of Godzilla history. 
just the way that it, it looks like Godzilla is just mindlessly beating on Anguirus. He he rips his jaw open in the style of King Kong. And I was just like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I know I've mentioned this a few times now, but it still to this day blows my mind. And I get that in the first time... The first time Godzilla meets Anguirus, which is in the movie directly after the 1954 movie called Godzilla Raids Again, they were initially enemies. But even then, because honestly, I watched the other show movies first before I saw the second movie, the after 1954, it's kind of funny. But I just gotten used to Anguirus is Godzilla's friend. Well, why is he doing this? The next um, strong point, it's the big band music. I mean, come on, guys. It it just fits so well with the movie. It made it feel so lively and a beat. And it just, it was a wonderful contributor to the tone of the movie. This is also approximately the third time um, that we see Godzilla develop powers and abilities other than his atomic breath. This is within the Showa continuity. And honestly, as a fan of the King, I truly appreciate the costume design of the monsters in this movie. Once you get past all the old-timey, blatantly visual special effects, those you nitpickers out there, if you let it grow on you, you'll, you'll enjoy this movie. In terms of powers... This is the first time we are introduced to the Godzi- to Godzilla's super regenerative abilities. Because after taking a hefty beating from the seemingly superior Mechagodzilla, this was when they fought and Mechagodzilla was like, okay, jigs up, it's me. He basically sends Godzilla home packing, and this is another one of those instances where he bleeds for the first time. This is this is actually the first time where Godzilla bleeds like horrendously. And so what happens is he takes his time to lick home, lick his wounds on one of his island homes, you know, probably Monster Island. And what happens is he develops a power after being struck by lightning. It's painstakingly simple, but it fits into the wackiness of the show series, so it's great. And this ability proves to be integral to beating Mechagodzilla. And this ability, which we never see again, sadly, is magna magnekinesis, the power to manipulate magnetic fields. And <laughs> just, just just the way it, it happens, like he does Godzilla. So Mechagodzilla starts brutalizing him in the final act of the movie once again and he starts breathing profusely again but this time Godzilla gets up and he does a he does a little a little flex and since he had these um sharp cuz Mechagodzilla has this thing where he has finger cannons so when he shot his finger cannons they actually stuck out of Godzilla's skin they were they were embedded in it and so what happens is Godzilla flexes and they just pop out. <laughs> and then after that, he um he basically invokes the super regenerative ability and it, he just, you know, 
all done. I'm fixed. Let's let's kill you now. And he basically just pulls Mechagodzilla in, who now is realizing the full gravity of the situation. He's trying to leave. But Godzilla just pulls a very classic, get over here, in the style of Mortal Kombat, and just rips his head off. And just... If you ever, if you guys ever get the chance to see this movie, come to it with an open mind because it is just great when you take it all in. If you watch it in the English dub, it's even funnier because some of the subtitles that that are put in place of the original a dialogue is just it's so well. It's it's not good translating, but it, it it's also kind of funny. So when they first introduce the Mechagodzilla, one of the humans on the sidelines is say says, "Huh, yes, you you could call it uh, Mechagodzilla." <laughs> oh my gosh! Just I swear, guys, you you really just have to see the movie in order to I, me talking about it. Honestly, doesn't do it justice. You need to see it, and that concludes our top 10 list really 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 quickly before i wrap up this podcast and enjoy it now because it's never gonna happen again i have to make a slight correction i said earlier that in the mechagodzilla in the, in the mechagodzilla movies the first time that godzilla bleeds wrong the Godzilla vs. Gigant movie actually came out a few years before Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla did. So that is actually the first movie where he bleeds profusely. Yeah. Now, if you guys actually made it legit all the way to the end of this first ever Two Slices to Go episode, I truly commend the troopers out there that accomplished this feat. Henceforth, by the power vested in I, Metatron, Scribe of the Lord, I dub the listeners that made it legitimately to the end of this podcast honorary Godzilla fans and scholars. If you did not do it legit, then it's not going to work. Sorry, I, I, I just know who did and didn't. I will know. You cannot trick me. I am um, I'm somewhat omniscient because I'm an angel, but all right. Because you guys probably were going into this thinking, oh, this will be quick. But if you guys know me and you know that how much I like Godzilla, you were going to leave with a lot more information than you were intending to leave with. But on a concluding note, if you guys have any extra cheesy comments or spicy red pepper feedback, or even if you guys have any general questions or want to make suggestions regarding future episodes, quick slices, or two slices to go episodes, follow the Pop Culture Over Pizza podcast on Twitter at PCOP Podcast. Again, on Twitter, that is at PCOP Podcast. This is Metatron bidding you a good day wherever you are.